The first week in October is Mental Illness Awareness Week. And in honor of that, I'm going to read an excerpt from my novel, Big Flame and Little Buck, from chapter one. Um, as this is a story that hinges on um, schizophrenia and how it affects a family in Vermont. Uh, in chapter one, um, Pat Bates and uh, Dante Zuckerman are introduced. They're best friends. Uh, the scene takes place the junior after junior year, between junior and senior year. It's the summertime. Pat had been uh, um, battling on and off depression his junior year, but he was on an upswing until they had a car accident. And here is where we pick up. It was after the accident that Pat's mom became nearly desperate with worry. Months had passed since Candace called Dante for the first time to come over, to stay over, and keep an eye on Pat. Now it was the middle of summer before senior year, and the boys, Pat, Lyle, Jeremy, and Dante, were all home after the crash in Boston three nights before. No one had seen each other since the hospital, where they'd repeatedly gotten in trouble with the nurses for sneaking into each other's rooms with their rolling IVs. Since then, parents were keeping them all in lockdown while they healed, phone calls only. It was his mom who picked up the phone. Dante was finishing a bowl of breakfast kashi in the kitchen and could clearly hear, hear her ums and oh mys. He figured it had nothing to do with him, but she stopped him as he started to make his way up to his room. School hadn't started yet, and his folks were giving him time off from work at the apothecary, and he was bored, broken, and sore after being in a car that rolled over twice. Dante, his mom's voice, was low and somber. He turned to her, one foot on the stair, his arm held by a sling across his midsection. Her hand was covering the mouthpiece. It's candy. She, uh, I mean, Pat is, um... Dante took his foot off the stair and took two steps closer to her. What? Is he okay? Yes, I'm sorry. It's just that he's really, really, well, depressed, I guess. He won't get out of bed or even change his clothes. Three days now, since the accident. She's asking for help. Dante reached for the phone. Mrs. Bates? Candace's voice was shaky and wet. Hi, Dante. Could you, um, come over? Pat isn't doing good, and I was just hoping... Dante looked at his mom and mouthed, Can I go? Of course. When Dante got there, Kitty was in her bathing suit on the rocking chair on the porch. She had a sour look on her face. As Dante went up the steps, she grumbled, I can't go to number 10 pond because mom won't take me because of Pat. No one can come get me either. Dante had always wondered why that pond had just a number for a name. And it seemed to him more of a lake than a pond. Maybe he'd always be a city boy at heart. He shrugged. You can ride a bike, can't you? Kitty huffed. I guess. She hopped off the rocker. Mom, I'm riding my bike to number 10. She slung her towel around her neck and flip-flopped past Dante down the steps. Pat was lying in bed with ice on his knee and wearing his concert tee, the one he got at the Foreigner show. It was white with three-quarter length black sleeves and looked like the cover of the band's featured album, a large black number four, like you'd see during the flickering of a movie when the film first starts rolling. There was blood on the right shoulder. If Dante was remembering right, Pat was wearing all the same clothes from that night. Pat didn't even glance at Dante as he came through the doorway. Jeremy was the first of them to get his driver's license, which created a domino effect, and soon after, they all had them. Jeremy had to drive the night of the concert because Pat's truck couldn't hold them all. 
Miles Bratt could have, but two of the seats were outside, bolted into the bed of the truck. No one was even sure if that was legal on a highway, much less in Massachusetts, where the concert was. Dante's Tercel had so much rust that they joked he would have to run it like a Flintstone soon. Jeremy hadn't gotten his car yet, so he begged his older sister Lisa to borrow her Chevette, and in exchange he had to do her chores for two weeks. Jeremy had learned about the Foreigner concert by overhearing a Grayson College kid while he was working at the general store. It was Lyle who got his parents' credit card and called to order tickets. After the three-hour drive to Boston, they were in awe at seeing so many cars and people in one place. They had to park in what seemed a football's field length away from the arena entrance. It was still light out, and they could see the massive fans gathering in the upper section of the sports stadium. They had walked about halfway across the packed parking lot when they got herded into a rowdy keg party. Looking at each other with shocked and happy expressions, they downed three beers each. Jeremy outdid them all by accepting a beer bong after two beers and puking 20 minutes later as they waited in the line to get in. They all fell to the ground laughing, even Jeremy, despite the dirty looks from the other fans in line. Holy shit, Jerbear tossed his cookies, laughed Dante. You'll probably be next, Strawberry. Oh, right. Well, I can't call you that anymore, so Schnante it is, Lyle teased. You already pissed yourself laughing. Lyle cracked up some more as he staggered to standing. Dante stood up quickly. Fuck you, Lincoln. It's just beer, Lyle belched. It's not. It's too. Dude. Pat said, pulling Jeremy up with him. Why do you always have to fucking do this? Lincoln pushes your buttons and you fall for it. He's just an asshole. Don't let him get to you. Oh, great. I'm the asshole now. Lyle rolled his eyes. Jeremy swayed in place. He punched his finger in the air at Lyle. Lincoln's an asshole. His finger swung to Dante. Straw. No. Schnante is an asshole. He swung again. Pat Bates is a superior asshole, but he gets away with it because the girls think he's hot. And me? He pointed at himself and inadvertently leaned back on his heels from the effort. I'm the biggest asshole of all. Plus, that's right, sweetie, you're all assholes, said the woman behind them with shaggy bleached hair, black at the roots. The lines moved ten feet. Now get going so we don't have to smell your puke anymore. Once they got inside the stadium, they were starstruck by the hordes of girls in tight jeans and hundreds of guys with styled hair, short in the front like Pat and Lyle's, but sometimes reaching all the way to waist level in the back. Tipsy and unused to crowds, they had some trouble finding their seats, as well as staying together while cutting through the beer and bathroom lines. Jeremy got separated for a good ten minutes and told them later in the car ride home that he had stuck to the rule his dad taught him about the woods. As soon as you realize you're lost, just stay put and you'll get found in no time. It worked. They all shopped for concert tees together. Jeremy got the same one as Pat. Pat bought a size too small to show off his muscles. Dante and Lyle got black ones that had the band's name and fancy writing. All shirts had a list of tour dates on the back. Still sloppy from the quick beers, they all pulled off the shirts they were wearing and put on the concert tees. They tucked the old shirts into the waistband at the back of their jeans, giving them t-shirt tails. Once they figured out where their seats were, the four of them bumped and staggered their way up the steep concrete steps to their section. When the light went down and the band came on, the crowd exploded and Jeremy went hoarse within the first ten minutes from yelling. Dante and Pat's fingers were a blur of air guitar. Lyle burned a black mark on his thumb from tribute after tribute with his lighter. When at last the finale of Jukebox Hero reached its crescendo and the concert was over, they were drenched in sweat and stone-cold sober. They stood in a subdued cluster long after the house lights came on. No one wanted to be the first to move, to end that perfect moment, to start the long exodus back to their concertless lives in the wooded hills. 
After the crowd had noticeably thinned, Jeremy, who was driving and wouldn't have the luxury of sleeping on the way home, took the first step toward the exit. The rest of them fell in line behind him. Uh, hey, Pat Bates. Dante glanced at Candace, who stood behind him, large black circles under her eyes. All parents had been visibly shaken since the accident. She gave him a soft squeeze on the shoulder and left. No response from Pat, who stared at the ceiling. It felt too motherly to go sit on the bed, so Dante sat on the floor, legs crossed. Dude, the shirt. It's like, you know. Pat mumbled. What? I know. Dante leaned back on one hand, his other arm still tucked in a sling. He was glad it wasn't winter. He wasn't sure he could drive one-handed through ice and snow. Can you believe Jerbear got to go home the very next day? The lucky bastard. I mean, how does a person end up getting thrown clear and only have a dislocated shoulder and a chipped tooth? Pat shrugged. I mean, it wasn't his fault, right? That guy clipped us trying to get to the off-ramp. But how fast was Jerbear going? I never really got a good answer from him. Dante didn't realize how much he had pent up inside him. He really hadn't talked with anyone about it since they got home, not even his parents. They were not the kind to press, always took the approach that things happen when the time is right. You know what the fucking problem was for us? It was that ghetto blaster Lincoln insisted on bringing because the tape deck in the car wasn't working. Banged all over the place when we flipped over. Hand to God, it must have pinged each one of us like a fucking pinball. Even Lincoln in the front seat, all except for Jerbear and that douchebag. Dante saw a twitch of smile on Pat's face. He is a douchebag, isn't he? Pat shoved himself up onto his elbows. How's Lincoln? Dante shrugged. Well, you know he had busted ribs and a cut on his head from the boombox, so I guess he's just resting at home. You haven't talked to anyone? Pat shook his head. Me either. Check out my fat-ass lip. Hurts to talk. Guess you're a real lucky bastard. Guess what? Pat sat all the way up and grimaced. He had a bruised abdomen, a sprained knee, and a black eye. Ow. What? Shannon called me and asked me to go to Burlington with her to see a show. I guess she had fun on our first date. Ow, fuck. Dante's cut on his lip hurt the most when he smiled. He'd been waiting for her for a long time, no thanks to Pat. You know, when we're not hobbling around in pain anymore. Over the years, Pat had tried to resist her flirting, and some days he was a really good friend. But there was the first kiss at number 10, plus three more, two that Dante knew about and the other he didn't. The first was at Tony McGuire's spin-the-bottle party in ninth grade. Pat won two minutes in the closet with Shannon. Shannon giggled for most of it, but they did kiss, with tongue, for at least five seconds. Dante didn't talk to him for two weeks. Pat told her that he didn't want to go out with her, but that maybe wasn't the whole truth. He just hadn't known why Dante wouldn't make a move on her, but that was then. Pat told himself that nevertheless, she was cute and into him, so that led to the one Dante didn't know about, which was after school, sophomore year. Shannon led Pat behind the gym and she made out with him for a long time, maybe ten minutes. As awesome as it was, Pat felt so guilty he avoided both Dante and Shannon until Dante cornered him. Pat stammered that he did it because he was jealous because Dante was talking with Sophie Berger at lunch and Pat really liked Sophie, so... Dante didn't quite buy it, but what could he do? Then there was that kiss in front of Dante at the beginning of the summer a few weeks before their car crash. It was after the graduation party for the class of 1983. Dante forgave him, maybe because it was the ensuing fight they had that got Shannon to realize Dante was in love with her. He hadn't yet told her for how long. Pat gave him a full smile. No way. That's awesome. Way. Dante couldn't help it. He grinned. His hand went to his lip. Ow, fuck. Ow, fuck, shit. Pat laid back down. Dude, I can't hardly sit up. Do you need anything? Dante noticed Pat's limp, unwashed hair. 
Typically for Pat, it was a daily shower, feathered hair, tight jeans, and cut-off sweatshirt to show off his abs. Now greasy hair and a bloody t-shirt? Pat went back to staring at the ceiling. Nah, maybe just more sleep. I am so fucking tired. Dante thought of Pat's mom, the sound of panic in her voice. Come on, bro. I want some hot chocolate. Pat sighed. Fine. He sat up again. Ow and fuck shit. But you gotta bring it here. My knee is all fucked up. Okay, but I cannot drink hot chocolate with your bloody shirt on full display. Please change it. Pat's eyes grew wide. Whoa, straw. Uh, dude, I just realized something. Dante rolled to standing using his good arm. What's that, Pat Bates? I never even got a cut. So whose blood is this on my shirt? That did it. They both started cracking up, punctuated with owls, jeez and crows, and assorted bad language. Candace appeared at the doorway with a tray of hot chocolate and with a look of relief on her face. You heard him, Patty. No cocoa until you change your clothes. She put the tray down on his nightstand and turned around to leave again. As she did, she looked pointedly at Dante and mouthed the words, thank you. Dante wanted to smile back at her reassuringly, but was afraid he'd curse again, so he nodded. Pat had trouble sitting up and was struggling with his shirt. Dude, get over here and help me. These clothes smell worse than you. At first, Pat's deeper, more serious depression had everyone acting in extremes. His mother doted and coddled, endlessly asking things like, What do you want for dinner, honey? His dad, you get down here right now and drive your sister to school, or else. Kitty was downright giddy as she tried to keep life at home centered around her. No matter what the question or threat, Pat felt like all words were being pushed through a filter. When summer ended and he had to drive them both to school, Kitty started asking Pat, why are you being such a dick? Which became, what's up with you anyway? And finally, are you okay? Pat would just turn up the volume on the radio. Kitty was used to his incessant teasing. Its absence felt like a snub. She eventually gave up, much to Pat's relief, and instead donned her Walkman earphones to block out Pat's Scorpions, Van Halen, or whatever he popped into the tape deck. Pat hardly heard the music. He'd kept it on as a way to shut her out, and it worked. It wasn't that Kitty was worse than normal. He'd never minded taking her to school. He even liked hanging out with her sometimes. But now her words were cloudy and lacked meaning. That, and it took all of his focus and energy just to drive, not to let his thoughts drift to the gray bubble, where they might get caught and end up wrapping them around a tree. Everyone thought it was the trauma of the accident that led to Pat's heavy